You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. All right, today is we're, uh, we're going to continue our series. Uh, we have been in a uh, series through this month called Taking Ground, Taking Ground, and we've been looking at the story of Joshua. And uh, if you missed week one, it was essentially from Joshua chapter one, and it was about uh, recognizing the importance of taking possession of every promise that God has for us. I believe that many people live their lives as Christians, almost like uh, orphans seated at the Father's table, hungry, and yet the buffet has been spread, uh, missing something, and yet God has provided what's missing, uh, and he's made it freely available for all of us. And so in, in the very first week, we talked about the importance of taking possession of the promise. Last week, we looked at Joshua chapter 2 and how God redeemed the story of Rahab. And God wants to redeem our story as well as he makes all things new, as he takes the broken places of our lives. He even takes our mess, our, our failures, our past, our history, and he gives us a future and a hope. But we also looked at the importance of taking ground for our households because what God does in saving us, uh, setting us free, isn't just about us. It's about seeing our households transformed. It's about seeing our cities won to God. It's about seeing our generation impacted, the desolations of many generations, uh, and, and our ruined cities rebuilt, as we looked at from last week in Isaiah 61. Today, uh, we're going to continue with, uh, in, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3. And no, we won't be going through the entire book of Joshua chapter by chapter, but I want us to look at chapter 3 today, and we're going to talk about finding and fulfilling God's will for our lives. Joshua 3. Verse 1 says, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, the Levites bearing it, then you shall go out from your place and go after it. And uh, yet there shall be a space between you and it, the ark, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not stand uh, or come near to it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed by this way before. So Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, or set yourselves apart as holy to God. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. As I mentioned throughout this series, the Jordan River was the place of a boundary. It was not only a natural boundary when you would cross over from east to west into Israel, which is the, the route that now Israel was taking, that God had brought them into the promised land. But as they're about to cross over a generation before Joshua's own generation, uh, he's now older, he's in his 80s, but in his 40s, he was a younger man and he was going into the promised land and his entire generation at that very point turned back. An entire generation turned back to the desert, I believe, missed God's best, missed God's perfect will. Uh, sometimes we look at the will of God as this nebulous mystery that cannot be known, cannot be understood, can never fully be realized or experienced. But the will of God, according to God's word, is not a mystery completely unknowable, but God wants to make his will known, and he wants us to walk into it. He wants us to experience it. And, and sometimes we kind of have a case or theology, that whatever will be, will be. Whatever happens, just 
just is the God's will and God's best, but that's not true because we know in God's word itself, in 2 Peter 3, that God is not willing that any should perish. How many know people still perish? God does not desire for anyone. In fact, he didn't create hell for people. He created for the devil and his angels. But he gave us a choice to choose him freely or choose our own way. And so God desires that, we would, that every single person would experience salvation that he's made available through Jesus. God's will is that we would step into our promised land, that we would experience all that he's created us for. And yet an entire generation that God said, I've provided this land, I've made it for you, I've set it apart for you, an entire generation turned back and they turned back at this boundary. Have you ever had seasons of life where it feels like you're moving forward, but then you hit a certain point? Maybe you've been at that point before. You, you try to change your habits. You try to change your, your routines. You change your ways. You change your priorities. But then you hit your Jordan River, and you seem to go backwards instead of forwards. Instead of taking ground, you regress. Instead of taking ground, you go back. You hit the same point of discouragement you hit five years ago. You hit the same point of hurt and loss that you were five years ago. You hit that same point and you turn back. God's desire is that you take ground. He's not created us to turn backwards. And so he comes, he brings now the next generation. And he brings them to the same place, the same, the same Jordan River. And he gives them a couple instructions. He says, okay, you're going to have the ark. The ark's going to go before you. The ark being a, a physical or visible representation of God's presence among his people. Think raiders of the lost ark. It, only, it doesn't just melt the faces of Nazis. I'm a movie guy. Anyway, uh, but, but, but here's what the ark is. The ark is the place where, where wherever the ark went, God's presence would go. Wherever the ark went, God himself was dwelling among his people in the Old Testament. So they would often, as they would move, when Israel would, would pick up their stakes and move their camp, the ark would go before them. When they would settle in a place, the ark was positioned at the center in a tent called the tabernacle, at the center of Israel. In fact, the way God told his people to arrange their own tents in their camp was that everybody's own household or own tent was to face the ark, was to face the thing that was at the center. Why? Because two things. God was letting them know, when you move ahead, you need to move ahead following the lead of the presence of God. The ark goes first. When you're camped, when you're, when you're in a position, you need to have the presence of God central. That not only is God's presence necessary for, for religious practice and activity, but more importantly, it's to be, God's presence is to be at the center of your everyday life. Every day when they woke up, they were looking at the ark. Every day when they got up, they were facing the center of the camp where the tabernacle was. Every day they got up and God was at the center of his people's camp. And the point is that God wants to be at the center of your life and my life. Not just Sunday mornings, but seven days a week. God wants to be at the center. And then when we step forward into God's will, that he has already gone before us. What does he tell them? He says, if you're going to cross this boundary, here's how you're going to do it. God's presence is going to go before you. And you've got to pay attention to where the ark's going. In fact, watch where the ark's going and, and keep enough distance to be able to see the direction. You don't want to just get so crowded around the ark, you can't see its course. Listen, sometimes we're just too crowded in our life to see and recognize the presence of God. It's not that he's not there. It's not that he's not speaking. It's not that he doesn't want to lead us. It's that we just are simply too full of other stuff. I know it's a little early for this. 
But, they, but he says, give a little bit of space. Allow God's presence to have room to lead. And as the ark was to cross over, he said, this is so important because where you're going, you've never been before. See, whenever we rely on our own experience, no matter how good it is, on our own wisdom, no matter how good it is, God wants to take us places that our own wisdom, ability, strength, our education, our training, our connections, our, our, our resume cannot take us. There are places God can take you in his perfect good and pleasing will for your life that you could never get on your own. And he says, I'm taking you a place that's going to require my presence to be at the center, to be at the forefront, for you to recognize and follow my lead. Anybody can settle on the wrong side of their promise. Anybody can turn back. But God's design is that we cross over. And what they had before them for Israel looked like an obstacle. The Jordan River was actually at its peak season of, of overflowing its banks. And so it's not just a little stream that could easily be crossed over, but it was a torrent, a, a strong flowing river that had to be crossed at really, without God's help at great risk. And what they looked at as an obstacle, God was wanting them to see as an opportunity. How many times do we miss, I believe, I know I have, do we miss God's will in an area because what we see as an obstacle is actually an opportunity? What we see as something meant to turn us back is actually an opportunity to overcome, is actually an opportunity to cross over. Nobody likes obstacles. And, and, and I know we think for something to be God's will, it has to have no obstacles. What if instead of there being no obstacles, those obstacles were actually opportunities? Opportunities to see God be faithful. Opportunities to see God do the impossible. We have obstacles of disappointment. I know Joshua, 40 years before, had a disappointment. <laughs> he had a disappointment that an entire generation turned back instead of going forward into the promised land. And some of us, that's our Jordan River. We get to that point, we start to move forward in an area of our life, and we look at what didn't work the last time, and so we go backwards. We look at failure, loss. You know what Israel's problem was is they had what the Bible describes as unbelief. Rather than trusting in God, they did the opposite. And, and, and their disobedience to God's command to cross over into his will and into his promised land was directly connected to the fact that they did not believe God when the rubber met the road. They believed God when he provided manna from heaven. They believed God when he parted the Red Sea. They believed God in a moment. But, but God's promise was never just to save them from, it was to save them for. It was to deliver them out of Egypt, but to bring them into the promised land. And they came to the place where God was transitioning them from just being saved slaves in Egypt to now being more than conquerors. And there was going to be a fight involved. There was going to be obstacles to overcome. And they go, well, God, we were all for it before. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the setting us free stuff, but the, this purpose stuff has, looks like it has a fight connected to it. Looks like there's going to be some giants to battle with. Looks like there's going to be some walls to overcome, some obstacles. And, and Joshua was one of only two men that didn't see obstacles, they saw opportunities. 
What could God do with people that rather than being held back by unbelief and turning back at their Jordan, said, I see opportunities with God. I see, rather than just seeing the brokenness of a city or of a family or of an individual, we see an opportunity to see God move like nothing else. What if the darkest place was the greatest place for opportunity? What if the most spiritually broken place was the greatest opportunity for healing? turn back at the place of hurt. You know, we've, we've because of social media, we've kind of made, um, it, you know, the phrase is church hurt, we've, and it's real. Some of you have been hurt in the church. I know I have at times. And, and we've, we've experienced that. But, you know, I don't think we ever have grocery store hurt. <laughs> have you ever... I'm sorry. Have you ever been hurt at the, like somebody cut you off? Somebody mistreated you at the, are, are you with me? I mean, I've, I've had some people buy the last thing that I wanted. Like that was the last key lime pie. You just took it from me. I know it's silly, but, but here's, here's why there's a difference. Because the enemy brings hurt in the church to keep people from their purpose. I, I, I've been hurt at car mechanics when I got the bill. But it didn't keep me from going back to a car mechanic because at some point I need to fix the car. Right. Are, are you with me? I still need to go to the grocery store because you know what? As much as people can create a mess and they do, uh, I, I still got to eat. And our soul still needs to be fed with God's word. We still need community. We still need freedom. We still need purpose. And, and, and the enemy uses the weapon of hurt in the church to keep people from their God-given purpose, to turn them back to the desert instead of going to the promised land. And no matter what it is that the enemy wants to use, be careful not to make a monument out of something that God can set you free from in a moment. And this is a big one. We get distracted. I know I do. We get easily distracted. We're all four across. Let's, let's get over this, Jordan. Let's take ground. Let's take cities. Let's oh, squirrel. <laughs> I've just got some other stuff. Right, One day... I'll get to that. One day, God, and we, 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 rather than stepping into God's will today, we put it off till tomorrow. An entire generation spent 40 years in the desert in what was essentially a few weeks' journey. So a few things, real quick. We need to recognize the opportunity. We need to recognize the opportunity. A couple things about God's will. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by God's mercies, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service or worship, and do not be conformed to this world. The world brings outward pressure to change us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've heard me teach on that before. It's transformation from the inside out that you may prove, that is to recognize or test or approve what is good. Here's three aspects of God's will I want you to catch today. God's will is good. I, I know that maybe religion painted a picture of God that he isn't good. And because of that, you hesitate to fully say yes to God. Because saying yes to God means saying yes to what you don't always fully understand. And if he's not good, then you can't trust what he's going to bring through his will. 
But the Bible lets us know that he is good. And the more we get to know the God of the Bible, the more we recognize his goodness, the more we respond and trust in his goodness. God's will is good. That means what God has planned is better than anything I could come up with for my own life on my best day. No matter what I can think of is best for my life, my family, my marriage, my, th- this church, whatever it is, no matter what I can come up with, God has something so much better. It's good. Acceptable means pleasing. Some translations put it that way, that it's God's pleasing will, that, that God's will. In other words, when I walk in the will of God, I'm walking in what brings greatest fulfillment to my life, but also pleases God. You know, there's some things I can pursue that I think are going to fulfill desires, but they don't please the heart of God. But then when I pursue what actually pleases the heart of God, the God who created me and formed me, I find out that my life is more fulfilled than I would be pursuing my own interests. I mean, that's just the truth. Living for myself never fulfilled me. Living me first, my way or the highway, did not fulfill me. It left me more broken and more empty. And it's also his perfect will. I think there's something less than God's perfect will that people live in all the time. But God has a perfect will that is available for each one of us. How do we experience it? He just says it right here. Don't be conformed to that. Be transformed by this. Don't, don't let the world shape the way you live and the way you think about God, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Present your life to God. Give your life to God. And this is the result. We begin to experience the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Three points for you today, really quick. Three points. Number one is we find God's will by following Jesus every day. We find God's will by following Jesus daily. We find God's will by following Jesus. So, 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 Sometimes we reduce Christianity to following principles instead of a person. So what do I mean by that? Well, being a Christian means that I'm going to learn the right information about God. I'm going to go to Bible study, I'm going to go to a class, I'm going to go to catechism, I'm going to go to Sunday service, I'm going to go through the the steps, I'm going to learn all the right information. There's nothing wrong with learning the right information about God. I mean, no, that's, that's true. But, but God did not send Jesus to die on a cross so that I could take a class. So I could get a certificate. So I could join an organization. But instead, so I could know and follow the person. Jesus walks up to the first disciples. And they're called disciples because they learn from the teacher. And how did they learn? Well, well, in our, in our world, we've, we've separated largely, especially in, in higher institutions, we've separated a relationship between a student and a teacher. The, the, way, the way the teachers taught their disciples and students in that day was a following of life. Like there, was, there wasn't just, you come to my class, I teach you information, and then you go home, I go home. No, but it was actually the rabbi walked through life and the disciples followed them closely, watched their way of walking, watched the way they talked, watched the way they acted, and, and would begin to learn what they said and what they did. And so Jesus comes up to his first disciples, and here's what he just simply says, follow me. That's it. That was all he said. Follow me. He walks up to Peter. Peter and his brother are cleaning nets. They're fishermen. They're by the, the shoreline taking care of their family's business. They've probably been fishermen for generations. They're there by the shore. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. With them, he adds this. He says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. 
In other words, follow me, and, and what you're doing now is just a shadow of what you will be doing. I'm going to take your life, your gifts, your passion, and I'm going to use it for an eternal purpose. Follow me. The mark of a believer, of a Christian, is not just that I have the right information about God, but it's more importantly that I follow him. And, and, and so, so we can all get in this way, and I can do it myself. I can, I can settle into a place where I'm just signing up to say, teach me the principles. Principles are good. You know, here's the seven steps to have a good marriage. Here's the, here's the 45 steps to try to figure out your kids. When one of you writes that book, please give me a copy. I want it. The, the, and so we like the principles because principles, principles we can reduce down. We can distill it to something. And, and principles are not bad. God's word is filled with principles. But these principles were never meant to be lived apart from a relationship with the person. And finding and fulfilling God's will, the first thing to find God's will is found in a relationship with a person. Here's how we do that. First, we find it through his word. So God's word tells us God's general will. So I don't have to wonder, do I need to be thankful? Is it God's will for my life to be thankful? Because I find it in his word. It actually says that very clearly. I think it's in 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. It says, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful. God, what is your will for my life? And there's things that are very clearly revealed as his will that apply to every single person for all time in Christ, that we, we recognize that. But then there's God's specific will. How do we find that? Well, he's also given us the Holy Spirit, a relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. See, in, in, in the time that Jesus shows up, there's a group called the Pharisees. They liked the, pers- or the principles. They didn't like the person. So Jesus shows up, the person, and they go, oh, we're not, we're not down for this. We're just going to read the book. Jesus calls them to follow him. He calls them to repent and recognize, receive the kingdom that he had brought. And, and they don't do it. In fact, they not only don't do it, but they reject him. They wanted a relationship with God without Jesus. And even as Christians, we can want a relationship with Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Oh, I might go there just for a minute. But, but he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, teach us, so that every one of us has access fully to God. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and, and here's what that means. That, that what sustains your life, just like your body needs to eat every day, Your soul needs to receive God's words every day. And there's two Greek words for word, if I could not confuse anybody in here. There's the word logos, which is a general word that means all of God's word. It means the fullness of Jesus. Jesus is the logos, John chapter one. His Bible, the the written word of God is the logos of God. So you have access to all of this. But then there's a word Jesus used right there. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. It's a word rhema that literally means a spoken word. So it's when God takes something from the logos and he makes it rhema. In other words, have you ever read the Bible and something just speaks to you? It challenges you, it, it, it corrects you, it, it encourages you, it, it gives you a promise, and I believe that's the, that's the author of the book helping you to follow the person. 
find and fulfill his will. The way we do that is through daily relationship with Jesus. If we can go back to Joshua 3 for a moment, I want to read the rest of uh, this passage, verse 9. It says, Joshua came then to the children of Israel. He said, come here and hear the words of God. By this you shall know that the living God is among you. He will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, all the ites. In uh, verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord uh, all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, one for every man. Uh, and, and here's what it says. It shall come to pass as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. And the waters will come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap, just like with the Red Sea. And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant. So, so the Ark was not carried on a cart, pulled by animals, but was carried on the shoulders of people. Because it's not our programs that carry God's presence. It's not our institutions or our buildings that carry the presence of God. It's his people. Okay. So aren't you glad for that? Because sometimes you meet in a mall for church. Okay. <laughs> and those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. For the Jordan overflows its banks during the whole time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, rose in a heap uh, very far away at Adam, the city that is there. Okay, so the waters went down from the sea. And the salt sea, and they failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. Right in the middle of the riverbed, they're standing on dry ground. All of Israel crossed over on dry ground, just like they had a generation before across the Red Sea. Now, the first crossing was a picture of baptism. Leaving Egypt, being set free. This second crossing is into purpose. Bible says we're baptized in water and then we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why are we baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because he crosses us over into purpose. He didn't give you the Holy Spirit just to give you goosebumps or so we could have fun church services. No, no. He gave you the Holy Spirit so you could take ground, church. So we could take ground. So they cross over. Two last points. Number two. I want you to catch this because number two, getting into God's will is we need to prepare for God's will. What did he say? What was God's instruction for the people? Sanctify yourselves because tomorrow. Get ready because tomorrow. Tomorrow God is gonna do something. What was the, the wonder that God was gonna do? He was gonna make the waters parted at the Jordan River and they were gonna cross over into their promised land. What a generation before failed to do, they would experience by a miraculous hand of God, but it would happen in, as Israel prepared for God's will. What was God's will? That they cross over. But what was their part to do? Their part was to prepare for that. And I think this is key because we look at preparation as something less important than the promise. So, so God answering prayer, God doing the miracle, God rescuing, God saving, God, God, God fulfilling that dream he birthed in, the heart, in your heart. God's will being fulfilled. We look at that as, man, that's, that's what it's all about. Do you know what God, God's priority, God does miracles all the time, and some things are instantaneous, but some things involve a process. There's been some things I prayed for that before that answer came, and God would bring the answer, God began a process of preparation. 
And, and that process always involves what Joshua described to the people. Set yourselves apart. Set yourselves apart. If God's doing something in your life today that is requiring a greater level of trust, a greater level of surrender, a greater level of obedience to God to say, God, I'm gonna surrender this, I'm gonna lay this down, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna step out, I'm gonna do whatever it is that you're calling me to do, I'm preparing today. Why? Because tomorrow God's gonna do wonders. And, and, and the world celebrates the success at the end. God prioritizes the process that nobody else can recognize or celebrate. You can't post it. There's no hashtag for it. But it's a process. It's a furnace. It's a burning bush. It's a place where nobody else is there but you and God. But it's the very place that's necessary for him to bring you into the promise. Don't despise the process that God may have you in today. Tomorrow I'm going to do wonders among you. Number three is we need to step into God's will. We need to step into God's will. Let me read this, 2 Timothy 2.20. It says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood, clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart as holy, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then he gives just a couple ways we do that. Flee also youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, and avoid, I like this, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they just generate strife. So the devil can't get us into compromisers, verse 22. He'll get us into verse 23, a bunch of useless arguing. And, and, and so here's, here's what he says. In a house, there's, there's the fine china, the stuff that's set apart, the stuff that's only brought out for special occasions. And if anyone cleanses himself from the lesser things to make room for the greater things, to be set apart, we become fit for the master's use. What does that mean? So, so in, in, you know, when I was a chaplain with a, a baseball team, major league baseball team, there was a, I did spring or training stuff with the guys where I was the Bible chaplain. So my job was to be a pastor. And when I signed up for it, they asked me, how much baseball experience do you have? To which I replied, N-A. <laughs> I was going to put T-ball, but I thought that didn't really help me on my application to be a chaplain. And, uh, and so, so <laughs> thankfully, I didn't have to talk to the guys about baseball. I was there to tell them about Jesus. But, but here's, here's the point. Those guys can take a baseball bat and hit a home run that same baseball bat in my hands isn't going to produce the same results. If I take a paintbrush, we have an amazing, couple amazing artists in this church that can, that can paint portraits and beautiful pictures. You give me that paintbrush, it's going to look like a kindergarten art class. Like, stick figures. I'm all about start stick figures. If I take my own life and keep it in my own hands... I'm going to produce very limited results. But if I take my life and give it to God, if I say, God, I want your will, I'm going to be set apart for your will. I'm going to step into your will. I'm going to trust you fully. What can God do with your life that we can't do on our own? He's the master painter. And when we place our life in his hands, there's no limit to what God can do. The next thing that the Israelites have to do 
is they come to the boundary of the waters. And as I read to you, they come to this Jordan River. We're almost done. They come to the Jordan River, and the priest, starting with the priest, these guys have the ark on their shoulders, and they're carrying it. And with just barely enough view of it, they have to look and step in to the Jordan River that's overflowing. And when we step into God's will, sometimes it can seem intimidating in the moment. I've never had God call me to something, genuinely call me to do something that I could accomplish on my own. I, I just haven't. Usually it's something where I go, okay, God, you better, you, I need you to show up. I, I need your help. I need your help in my life. I need your help in my family. I need your help in my calling. I need your help, God. And, but somebody has to take a step. I mentioned I like movies, and you know one thing that happens when you go to the movie, you leave there, anybody do this with your spouse, you leave the movie, your friends, whoever you get to see the movie with, you walk out of the theater and you go, what'd you think? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Why, 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 would, we, why would that be our response to a movie? Well, our response to a movie is like that because we're just an audience. The church is never meant to just be an audience. Where we go, well, I don't know. Did I like that song? Did I, did I? But no, no, we, we don't come to the river and go, eh, I don't feel like getting wet today. But we step into a kingdom, God-given, God-breathed purpose. And somebody had to take the first step. It's okay to wait for somebody else. Some people are waiting for others to take a step. But what if God's calling you to take the first step in your family? What if God's calling you to take the first step in your church, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? What if God's calling you to be the one that's going to be the catalyst for a miracle? God dried the waters of the Red Sea. Could God have, or not the Red Sea, the Jordan River. God could have dried the waters before they stepped in. But there would have been no faith there. I feel like, you know, I got to feel bad for the first two priests in the front line of the ark. Like the guys in the back, you know, they can drop and run. The guys in the front, they're in. They stepped into the edge. And I believe today, Jason, if you want to come down, some of us are on the edge of our greatest breakthrough, our greatest transformation, our greatest progress in our, and, and God moving in our life and in our family. but we're not going to experience it just being spectators. We are going to experience it as we take a step. And we may not feel qualified to take a step. We may not feel capable or able. But the good news is, it had nothing to do with the ability of the priests. It had everything to do with the ark that they carried. What parts the Red Sea, what parts the waters, what parts the Jordan River, what makes a way for you and me into the promise of God what enables us to even obey what God's called us to do is his empowering presence in our lives. So we, God, I, we, we say, God, I can't, but you can. I think it's so interesting that, you know, sometimes the very thing we are most hesitant to do is often the area of our greatest kingdom assignment. My biggest fear growing up, besides spiders, I told you about the spiders last week, was actually speaking in front of people. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. 
But, but, but you know what I found? When we, when we recognize that God's calling us to do things that we can't on our own, what do we do? We say, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. The person who has ability without dependence is the one that never experiences the Jordan River drying up. That never experiences the tomorrow I'll do wonders. And I just believe that there's some things that in your life and mine, God's calling us to take a step. Faith looks like taking a step. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, last verse. We walk by faith, not by Oh, you know it. I used to think the opposite of faith was fear or unbelief. Do you know what the Bible says? The opposite of faith is sight. It's living by only what I see. But faith is living based on what I don't see. More importantly, what God said, what God's promised. We walk by faith and not by our feelings, not by our comfort not by our conveniences. Oh, I know there's some things that look like stepping in the Jordan. Now, maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's taking the step of forgiveness. If you're waiting for your feelings, you'll never feel like forgiving them. I'm just gonna be real. You'll never feel like it. <laughs> you'll never feel like trusting fully. I'm sure at that moment, if you took a poll of those four priests, they weren't feeling like swimming but they were making a way for all those who come after them. They were taking a step. Do you know your breakthrough is in your step? Your miracle is in your step. Israel won the battle not when they took their first city. They won the battle when they took a step. They didn't win when they conquered Canaan. No, they, they won when they took a step. Are you ready to take a step? I'm going to ask you to stand your feet. Prayer team, if you come to the front. I want to pray for everyone who's at their own Jordan River right now. You're at an obstacle. And the temptation is to turn back at that obstacle. The temptation is actually to settle and get used to it and just learn to live with the obstacle. There's there's really good advice in the world. There's some bad advice too. There's some good advice that usually looks like this, you know, learn to manage the obstacle. Learn to get used to it. Just to settle. Just learn to live with what's unchangeable. And that'd be fine if there wasn't a mountain-moving God in the equation. Who can heal anything? Who can restore and redeem anything? Who can make all things new? Who can rescue anyone? For whatever the reason is you've turned back it's time to cross over it's time it's time the priests had to cross over not just for them but for their families for their neighbors 
for the whole community, the whole people to cross over. Somebody had to take the step. And I believe today, some of you today are going to take the step. It's going to not only make a way for you, but for so many after you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.